So this morning I woke up with uh, Julie Andrews in my head. As I do most every morning because life is great, right? Um, I don't really, but I woke up singing one of the songs from The Sound of Music. And it wasn't the one that you think. No hills were alive in my bedroom. However, it was, you start at the very beginning, right? Nice. That was great. You're so much better than the 930 crowd. Um, although I didn't give them that opportunity, but that was that was lovely. Uh, so, yeah, you start at the very beginning. And the reason I, I, I think I was singing that over and over and over again in my mind was um, because I felt like today was that that day um, for this series. And you might be asking yourselves, well, why didn't you do that at the very beginning of the series? Um, that would have you know, maybe been smarter um, to start the beginning at the beginning. But. But instead, I feel like it's kind of floated because what we did, if you haven't been here previously in New Heights, what we have been doing is we've been talking about the importance of discipleship. We have been talking about uh, the fact that Jesus has said, come follow me. And when he says that, what he means is come be just like me. When you follow a rabbi, when you become a disciple, your goal is not just to know what that person knows, but to be who that person is. So much so that when they look at you, they see your rabbi. That was the goal of Jesus. That when people saw him, they saw the father. And what he taught us to do as well was for when people saw us, they could see God. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, we, the last few weeks we've been talking about the importance of this. And, and then Jesus said, okay, and by the way, now go and do the same. Go and make disciples of all nations, right? So not only did he call us to be his disciples, when he was leaving, he goes, oh, and now, by the way, game on, your turn. Go and do the same thing. And so we've been talking about how this isn't something, it's not like a class that you can go through, that it's a way of life, that it's, it's more of a marination rather than a flash fry type deal. It, it is something that you need to spend time on. But for me, the reason I woke up this morning seeing Julie Andrews is because I think that this is very, very important part of it. For Jesus, I believe, um, okay, so Jesus was how old when he started his ministry? 30. 30, uh, around 30 when he begins his, his public ministry. And it was at that time that I would call the beginning. And the reason I call it the beginning is for what Mark says here. Mark chapter one, Mark doesn't, you know, beat around the bush like some of the other uh, gospels. He gets right in at it. He's like, game on. Let's go. Verse nine. One day, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son and I am fully pleased with you. This for me is the beginning. This is the beginning of when Jesus goes, okay. Because it was at this moment, the first time that the triunity of God appears in one spot in scripture, the father, the son, and the spirit, the first time that you see this happen, it is at this moment when, when God puts Jesus's identity out there, in the open, for the world, and more importantly, for Jesus to know. He calls Jesus son. 
Now, I know what you're thinking, what you might be thinking. Well, I mean, Jesus was fully man and fully God, so didn't he already know that he was the Son of God? Don't you think that Mary told him of the circumstances of his conception and birth? Don't you think that somewhere along the lines, Jesus, the Logos, the Word, knew that he was God? I don't know. I mean, let's think about it. Did, when Jesus was in kindergarten, when Jesus went to Howard, do you think that when the teacher was trying to teach him about colors, he's like, I invented that color, blue. When she's trying to teach him about the letters, he's like, come on, I am the word. I know I do letters. Do you think a junior high, he won every race he ever entered? He was on the swim team and he didn't swim. He just ran on top of the water so there'd be less friction. Suckers. Now, what we do know about Jesus's early life is that he studied. Is that he studied hard, is that he immersed himself in the way of life for a young boy, his age at that time period in that location that he studied scripture. How do we know that he studied scripture? How do we know that he immersed himself in the Old Testament? Because if you look at most everything he says, He's bringing out scriptures from the story of God. He's retelling the story of God. He's pulling back into his story, into our story, and bringing forward these scriptures. He knows the word of God. So we know that he studied. We know that he was prepared to be a rabbi. But what we don't know necessarily is if he understood his true identity. And the reason that I think that this is such a significant moment for Jesus, and it wasn't just something for us, is because God makes it very clear because the whole Trinity is there. If you, you know, my, um, I had this history teacher that used to say um, before he would write, he would always write, you never saw his face. He was just this. It was a teacher like this. And he wrote the entire class. Except when he would go, now this is important. That was the only time you listened because that was going to be on the test, right? It was that moment, that significant turning over the shoulder that you went, oh, write that one down because that will be question three because this is the third time he's done it today. Type deal. When God shows up in the three persons of God, it's God going, hey, this is a big deal. When God shows up, Father, Son, and Spirit together, there's significance there. And what it is, is God saying, This is my son. And this translation says, you are my son. It doesn't matter what you have thought of yourself previously. It doesn't matter what anyone from your little village has said. It doesn't even matter what Mary and Joseph have told you to this point in time. Because from now on, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, because guess what? You're really going to have to understand this and need to know this, Jesus, for the next three years. You're my son. And I love you. How important is that? Because the world that he enters from that moment on is so tough, so difficult. When he gets to the point, the Last Supper, and he knows that Judas is about to betray him, and he knows that he is about to be tortured, he knows that he's going to a cross, he knows all of these things that are about to happen. 
What he depends upon, I believe, is his understanding that he is a son and that he is loved. How awesome would it be if your kid is going off to college and you go, hey, you're loved. Whatever happens, you're loved. You're our son. You're our daughter. Go. What a beautiful thing for a child to hear from their parent before climbing a mountain. Now, the importance of this, I think, and why I call it the beginning for our, our lives, is that in order for us to truly be like Jesus, if, we, if Jesus is our rabbi and we are trying to live our life the same way that he lived his, we need to understand who we are. We need to understand from where our identity comes. Because we live in a world that has it coming from all over the place. We live in a world that is focused on title, job title, on what you do. We live in a world that's focused on where you live, on what you drive, on the clothes that you wear. We live in a world and in a community that's really focused on how much money you may or may not have in your bank account. We live in a world where identity is placed upon us by things out of our control. A lot of times. We're living, we live in a world that says your identity is so surface. It really has nothing to do with who you truly are. It's just one of those things that's there. I'm a pastor. Glad you're sitting down for that. Many times when I enter into a relationship with somebody for the first time and I meet them, I don't tell them exactly what I do right off the bat. I kind of feel the situation out. Because not everybody can handle a pastor sitting next to them on a flight for four hours. People get nervous. You know, I'm not a talker on a plane. I am more of a leave me alone. Let's just do this together, okay? Let's focus on getting the plane to wherever we're going by not talking to one another. But there are times when people sit next to me and they're like, hey, how you doing? And they're those chatty Kathy people. And you know that they're going to want to talk the entire time. And whatever you brought to do during that time, you might as well just put it away. I know you're there sitting out here and surrounding me. And sometimes when people ask me what I do for a living, I don't say a pastor because when you say a pastor, it brings with it a very big weight. Either they're like, oh, they're going through their mind. What did I just say in the last five minutes that's going to offend him and going to send up to Jesus? And now I'm going to go to hell. Or they have a really negative aspect of what a pastor is, who a pastor is, and they've had a really horrible church experience, and they're like, immediately, you are evil, or anywhere in between. Maybe they want to wax theological for four hours. I'm like, no, no, no. You sat next to the wrong pastor. So generally what I like to tell people is that I'm in sales. I'm in sales. Really great. What do you sell? Real estate? Whereabouts? Heaven. Now be quiet, okay? Can we just get to wherever we're going? A lot of times, if I, there's this um, a, a party around here called the German that many, I've seen many of you at uh, multiple times, and I had this experience there that I have multiple places. I'm in line to get um, some water and, uh, at, the, at the place where they have it. 
And, uh, and it's a Saturday night and I'm standing there and some guy comes up to me and he's standing next to me and he starts talking. He's like, Oh, are you going to be preaching tomorrow? And I'm like, well, yeah. Oh, okay. can you tell me what your sermon is going to be about right now? So I don't have to go. <laughs> and I'm like, no, That's, I haven't, ha- haven't written it yet. Um, <laughs> but they go on, he went on to say, I didn't. I didn't say that, but he went on to say, like, you know, well, I mean, because if I'm with you today, like right now, it's it's pretty close to midnight. Doesn't that qualify and count? Check, I can check the box off, right, for tomorrow. And I'm like, look, man, you, I'm not the church police. All right. That's between you and God. If you show up to and you don't even go to my church, by the way. Um, and yeah, so it's this mentality sometimes of when we moved into our, our new house over there and we started introducing ourselves, I didn't want to go, um, yeah, hi, I'm the pastor from the church around the corner. Why don't you go there? Uh, I mean, how horrible is that? But a lot of times we place our importance in our identity on what we do. A lot of times we, we place it on, on, you know, our family situation. We place it on um, our income level, where we live. In this community, there's a lot of times there's, you know, where, where do you live? Oh, I live over in this area. Oh, really? Where do you live? Terrell Hills. <laughs> Terrible Hills, huh? How are those foundations, right? You know, and so we start throwing out things about, you know, and almost park. Ooh, the other side of the tracks. Now, man, that's just, does anything good come from the OP? Um, and that's scriptural, I think. But, you know, and so we have these mentalities and we have, we put these identities on people for some false. Oh, you went, where'd you go to school? You went to Baylor. <laughs> Baylor? Do people really go there still? Um, I'm just kidding. I saw you over there. That's why I had to throw that out there. Um, yeah, but, but we put these identities on people and, and stuff. And then what it does is that we, we turn it into ourself. And so what we do is I start worrying about the, about the identity labels that the world puts on me. Most of my worries and anxieties come from the things that the identities that the world places upon me. My worry comes from the fact that I'm a pastor. Am I doing enough to, to be the pastor God wants me to be? My worries come from my job security here at this church. What happens in five years when David retires or seven years or ten years, whatever it is, and the new guy comes in, and their, or girl, whoever it is, and they say, yeah, that idiot in the, with the beard down the hall, yeah, no, 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 that, that's not going to happen anymore. My worries come from um, being able to continue to live in the community that we live and prepare for our future, mine and Jenna's and Grace's. Am I going to be ready for Grace when she's 80 and I'm no longer here? My worry and anxiety comes from the identities that are placed on me. You're the guy who has to provide for her. You're the pastor of this community. You are these things. You are that. You are that. That is where failure enters in. When I start saying that the world can dictate who I am. But what God says, because God and I talk about this from time to time, and I'm like, God, I'm just so worried about this. I don't know. And he's like, well, who are you? Well, I'm a pastor in the, ah, who are you? Well, I'm a husband. I'm a father with a daughter who has, but ah, 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 ah. who are you? Oh, I'm your son. So what's your problem? You're my son. 
whom I love. Start there. We'll figure the rest out together. So much anxiety and worry is placed upon us by ourselves because we forget who we truly are. Can you imagine the worry and the anxiety that Jesus dealt with being a rabbi, having the titles thrown upon him that were thrown upon him, mostly rightly so, going to the places, having the conversations, being the person that he was. Can you imagine the opportunity for just utter freak outness? Your job is to save humanity. Your job is to bring reconciliation to all things. If he didn't have that foundational understanding that he was a son of God, a child of God, an heir to the kingdom of heaven. I wonder how those three years would have gone down. If we are to understand ourselves as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are first to understand ourselves as daughters and sons of the most high God. If we are to enter into a world proclaiming the glory of God, if we are to follow these two things we always talk about, love God, love others. If we are to enter into our community in such a way that people understand what it means to be loved, we have to first understand that we are sons and daughters loved by God. So that when we go out there and we fail because we will, God still goes, That was epic, but I love you. And let's try again. How wonderful, that's my people over there, nice. How wonderful is it to go into something with the knowledge that if you fail, it's okay because you're loved. How wonderful is it to enter into this this lifestyle of a disciple knowing that it's not easy to change the way you live from the way that the world says, from choosing yourself to choosing God. There will be moments where, as Wesley would call it, you'd backslide. There will be moments where you're tripped up. But how wonderful is it knowing that through that, You're loved. That through that, you have brothers and sisters around you who are cheering you on, who are carrying you in the times that you need to be carried, and who are letting you carry them. It comes at the very beginning the understanding that you are a daughter or a son. The Most High God, and that you are loved. Today we come to the Lord's table. And often around the church, the church of the world, you will hear, and I am sure in the 12 years, 13 years that I've been leading communion services, 
I have done this. Often you hear that as you come to this table, you're not worthy. You're not worthy to come to the table of the Lord. You're a sinner. You've fallen short of the glory of God. So come with repentance. Come knowing that you just don't really matter. And receive the gift of the only one who ever did. And while there might be a little bit of truth to that, I think it's a little bit more bogus than true. Because my belief is that you are worthy, that we are worthy to come to this table because we, like Jesus, are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we, in essence, are his siblings. I believe it was Jesus who started calling God Father and then he turned it into what? Our Father. As you come this morning, don't come with a heart that says, I'm not worthy to come to this table. Come with an understanding that you are worthy to come and receive this gift of life. That you are a son of God. That you are a daughter of God. That every time you come to this table, he smiles down upon you and said, this is my son, daughter, whom I love. And so we come to the table this morning with that as the foundation. It was the night he was to be betrayed that he sat around the table with the disciples. He took the bread and he blessed God and he broke it. He said, take this, eat all of you. This is my body, which is given for you. After supper was over, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven and he blessed God. And he said, take this, drink all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. And so we come in remembrance of these mighty acts of salvation We come in remembrance of the fact that we are not just accidents in this world, but we are children loved by God. We come to receive this gift of life. Those who are assisting with communion, if you'd come forward, and the rest of you, if you would continue in prayer with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for this gift of life that we are about to receive. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would make it be for us the body and blood of Christ, and that as we consume this gift, we would be holy and living sacrifices, proclaiming your glory and your love to a world who desperately needs it. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As you come forward this morning, know a few things. One, this is not a Methodist table or an Alma Heights table. It's God's. And because of that, all who care to receive this gift are welcome. 
The other thing is we do communion here by what's known as intinction, which means you'll be given a piece of the bread to which you will then dip into the cup. On either side of the stage are uh, members of our prayer team who will offer prayer and or anointing should you choose to receive that. And now as we are beginning to grow accustomed in this new transformation of the CLC, we will begin with the center sections. And once they are through, the servers will move out to the wings and serve you all as well. The table is open and prepared. Come. Fast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When our friends of life are ransomed, shed for us his precious blood. And who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise. He will never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal. 